Podcast live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. It is Monday, May 8th. Herc, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, the good part of the season in most leagues around the world. We are. It doesn't even feel like that. I feel like it snuck up on us. Finally have some mm-hmm. good weather and everything's ending, Seb. I don't know what to say. That's right. Yeah, usually right after the World Cup, you go into the beginning of season mode. Here, we're kind of in wrap-up season mode. So, it's been a weird year for sure around not just North American, but world soccer. And uh, we are here to recap it all. Lots coming up in this show. We got an exclusive one-on-one interview with Kristen Press. We're going to hear from her. We're also checking on Angel City. They played a crazy game in the NWSL. Herc, in Major League Soccer, the coaching hot seat has boiled over. Not one, but two dismissals. We will discuss those. Plus, craziness in the Liga Amekis playoffs. All that coming uh, on this edition of Football Americas. But let's start, Herc, with something very positive. The awards. That's right. CONCACAF handing out their annual honors uh, late last week. And for the second time in a row, Alfonso Davies is Men's Player of the Year. The Canadian international becomes the first player ever to win the award in consecutive years and just the second player all time to win it more than once. And the other, Kaylor Navas. Davies. 2022 included a Bundesliga and German Super Cup with Bayern Munich, as well as Kenda's first World Cup appearance in 36 years, in which Davies scored the team's first ever World Cup goal. Herc, Alfonso Davies, CONCACAF's Player of the Year. Are you cool with it? Yeah, I'm cool with it. And I'm struggling to think of any other names that could possibly be up in the running that you would say, well, that, that, that makes sense. Now, people are going to be like, well, what do you mean only two times? Well, this award... Just came about in 2013, so there was no Hugo Sanchez, mm-hmm. there was no Rafa Marquez, no Dwight Yorks of the Worlds in those in those days, so it just started. Uh, so you're going to think he's going to pick up a few more of these, but if you go and look at just the resume, I mean, another Bundesliga, uh, one of the few players in CONCACAF that can presume he's top five in his position alone in the world, uh, first player uh, to win consecutively, that which doesn't matter, but led his nation to a World Cup, first time in 36 years, you've already mentioned that, scored the only goal for Canada in the World Cup in their history. Uh, think about just anybody who has a case that could potentially do something, comes up short. I mean, who else do you want to put in there? Jonathan David? That's what I'm thinking. Uh, Chucky Lozano? He just won the Serie A, but before that, was he really cementing himself amongst CONCACAF's elite? Uh, who else would you want to go there? Christian Pulisic? Mm-mm. I mean, yeah. think about the uh, names. Of, yeah. yeah, he's the only one that really makes sense. He's the only player that's elite in the entire region. I mean, that that's the reality, right? If you want to talk about a guy who's not just a top team, but a top player within a top team, Alfonso Davies at, at Bayern Munich, man, he's it. He's probably, you mentioned Rafa Marquez, because Keylor Navas, of course, is in there. He's probably the best field player, not just that Canada has produced, but that this region has produced, going back to Rafa Marquez, who was in his pomp, what, 15 years ago? So this is a once-in-a-generational player, yes, for his national team, but for this confederation, which maybe says a lot about the confederation. This is obviously, Herc, a, a club and international award, and because he does so well at club, so much more than any other player in this region, it's pretty easy. If it was just a national team award, it would be a lot more interesting. And I think in that case, I would make the case for Christian Pulisic, because I thought of all the CONCACAF players at the World Cup, Christian Pulisic had the best World Cup. So you'd only base it off the World Cup is what you're saying. Because if you look at the actual body of work throughout the year for the national team, Christian Pulisic Mm. was probably top three, sure. But did he do more than a Jonathan David or a Kyle Lahren? Did he do more than an Edson Alvarez? Like, that's, that's a good one. But just off World Cup, I mean, the U.S. is the only nation in CONCACAF that actually made it past the group stage so i think you're, you're really limiting the field there okay it's fair but i mean that that's what we got to choose from and christian pulisic like it or not he drug his team out of the group phase and into the knockout yeah, rounds i think there's something to be said that but that's not the criteria anyway right. the criteria here is is club and international to the point i'm kind of with you is that there's such a gap yeah between first and second place that you gotta you gotta desperately kind of try and change the criteria even make it an interesting debate. I pick Pulisic, you can pick Jonathan David, you could pick anybody, but nobody's in the stratosphere of Alfonso Davies. This is going to be the easiest vote, I feel like, for the next decade in CONCACAF, at least half decade. Oh, I, I don't know. Here's the one thing he's got going against him is that he's not necessarily an offensive position, so you get a goal scorer. Like, let's, for a second, think that Santiago Jimenez right. 
continues this ascension, goes on to a bigger club, has somewhat of a Chicharito-esque career. The fact that he's a goal scorer, that, that propels him. So it's not only Santiago Jimenez, Ricardo Pepe, uh, who had a stellar year at Grangen. Who knows what they can do? What if there is a father in Balogun who decides to play for the U.S. men's national team? What that can be? I really think this is where his position goes against him. He's a very good player, an attacking player, but from a left-back position um, at the club level. So I think those things are things that he has going against him. But for the first time in a long time, CONCACAF, I think now going forward, has some very interesting prospects. A majority of these awards, let's be honest, go to offensive players. You've got a nice little crop of forwards in CONCACAF who are all of a sudden making a name for themselves. Sure. I mean, let's just think about the guys in CONCACAF. Anywhere they go, you got to worry about who else is on the team. Alfonso Davies, they brought in Joao Cancelo, and he still couldn't move him from the lineup. That's what so I'm Alfonso Davies, he, he's a five. class of his own. I mean, and I'm being generous with the top five. You can make a case he's top three left back in the world. That's, he's the only player in CONCACAF today that you can say that about in his, in his position, in his specialized position at the club level. You mentioned Santiago Jimenez. Let's talk about the Mexican international striker because he's another CONCACAF player that is lighting it up in Europe. The El Tri star had himself another great weekend in the Eredivisie for Feyenoord. He scored twice against El Celsior. That was his first, his 13th of the season in league play, Herc. It was a very good goal, well-taken goal, a goal scorer's goal, header off the back post and in, 22nd in all competition, 14 for Santiago Jimenez. He just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Yep, here's number 22 in all comps, the most ever by a Mexican in his first year in Europe. Final two nothing winners. They are now eight points clear of PSV, who are in second place in the Dutch top flight. Here's a happy Santi postgame. Sí, la verdad me pone muy contento. Eh, sé que eh, ahí está el récord, obviamente, pero no trato de fijarme tanto en eso. Son contextos muy diferentes, ligas muy diferentes. Eh, como lo decía antes, nunca me voy a comparar con Luis García ni con Chicharito. Pero lo hago por mí, lo hago por mi familia, sobre todo lo hago por Dios. Y hoy tengo 22 goles en Europa y espero que sean muchos más. All right, Santiago Jimenez speaking after his uh, historic performance, two goals on the weekend. Herc, we got, what, five weeks about to USA-Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League right now? Do you think Santiago Jimenez is number one on the depth chart for El Tri? Yeah, and I would argue that Every game you give Henry Martin over Santiago Jimenez only delays the development. Mm. You're talking about a player in Henry Martin who's 30 years old, by no means old, but that has had one stellar year under his belt. One year where he's really captivated everybody. He's in the form of his life. And yet, being in the form of his life at 30 years old, you're saying is a wash in the eyes of most, not in my eyes, but with a 22-year-old Santiago Jimenez in his first year at a higher level, the Eredivisie in Europe, Europa League, all that you want. It just feels like you're delaying what should already be happening. Give Santiago Jimenez the minutes. Give him the exposure. Give him the Rosa Internacional to be that player to potentially lead the Mexican national team into the better part of a decade instead of relying on a 30-year-old Henry Martin who's only had one good year, one very productive year under his belt. It seems like it's counterproductive to go that route. Now, if because there are a lot of people who will say, hey, it's very close. Why make it close? Why not develop? You've already learned this at the World Cup. What could have been with Santi Jimenez there, and it didn't happen because of Tata Martino. Why go back down that road? So it sounds like you don't see that much of a gap between the no, two I players. Do. I, I do. I love Henry Martin. I really, truly do. I think he has a, a great role with the Mexican national team moving forward, and for quite some time. I think 30's young for a guy who's got as many goals as he seems to have right now. He's He's coming into his prime. Maybe we even call him a little bit of a late bloomer. But I see a massive gap between these two. So I want to start Santiago Jimenez just based on that, Herc, having nothing to do with his age. If these two guys were the same age, I would still want Santiago Jimenez. And to your point about development, man, we have got to see him with Mexico's best in the last international window. We saw him against Suriname. Yep. I think it was Antuna and Alvarado on the wings. I want to see him with Chucky, provided Chucky's healthy. We'll talk about that later. I want to see him with Orbelin. There are very few players right now who are doing 
anything in Europe, but certainly big things in Europe in the Mexican pool. you got to start this guy if he's scoring goals in Europe. I don't really care what Henry Martin is doing in Liga MX, Herc, and I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. It doesn't sound harsh to me. That's what I was saying, if you want to call it a wash, because in a lot of people's eyes, a lot of pundits down south, it's divided. It's not divided, in my opinion. He's doing it at a higher level at a younger age in his first real taste at top-flight football. And before he left, like there's, there's this crazy train of thought in Mexican mm-hmm. football that you need to first develop within Liga Mekis and then go out there to Europe. No, I mean, if you're good enough to go out in Europe, go and develop in Europe. I'm sure one could argue you'd have better people to develop you there than you would down in Liga Mekis. Not that there's anything wrong with Liga Mekis, but there's just levels to this, and he seems to be responding at a higher level, at a much higher pace, at a younger age. Why delay that development at the international stage? I'm with you. Santiago Jimenez, to me, could be a generational talent, and all you're doing is, by playing Henry Martinez, delaying that. So while one is going towards the latter part of his career, and you can see how much you can squeeze out of him. You've got another one with the road ahead of him that you're just delaying that development. Yeah, you saw the, the 27 goals there for Henry Martin. Herc, as you always remind us, Santiago Jimenez had his five before he left Cruz Azul. So if we want to add them all up, it's uh, 27 and 27 between Santiago Jimenez uh, and Henry Martin. We'll see who gets the start against the United States on June 15th in Las Vegas. So Santiago Jimenez is closing on a league title. Chucky Lozano, he's already got one. Napoli, uh, in what has to be said, was the least dramatic of the major title races. Finally, clinched their first league title in 33 years late last week after a 1-1 draw against Udinese. It gave him a 16-point lead with five games left. You can do the math. That's uh, Napoli's third Scudetto ever. As you can see, the celebrations were crazy. Harkening back to the Diego Maradona days. Chucky with 32 appearances, three goals, three assists in Serie A play this season. And he is a serial winner, Chucky Lozano. Won a league and a CONCACAF Champions League with Pachuca. Won the Dutch League with PSV. And this is his second trophy with Napoli to go with the Italian Cup that they won three years ago. But Herc, this makes him the first ever Mexican to win a Serie A title. How big a deal is it? How big of a deal is it to win a Serie A title? It's a massive deal, especially because it's with Napoli. And this cannot be overstated. Paco Gabriel de Anda, one of our colleagues at ESPN Deportes, he, he keeps reaffirming this, echoing this, and I couldn't be more uh, in favor of this statement. He won it with Napoli. He didn't win it with Juventus. He didn't win it with one of the Milans, Inter AC. He didn't win it with Roma. He won it with Napoli. After 30 years to do it, with a team like Napoli speaks volume, speaks to what they did. Napoli did how massive an achievement it is. The way they did it this year, they dominated Serie A. Yes, how influential or significant was mm-hmm. Chucky Lozano in that Serie A title? That's a different story. Now, you can't take anything away from Chucky Lozano. You looked at the resume. The CV is impressive. He is a winner. Nobody can tell him he wasn't deserving of being on this Napoli side. But certainly, pundits... Fans, Chucky Lozano will say that this year with Napoli, for a player that once was the highest transfer fee ever in Napoli's history, wasn't enough. Three goals, three assists. A a, a player that you go down the list of how influential was each player in their actual quest for the title. Uh, He didn't come in the top five. Uh, He didn't come close to that. Uh, Chucky Lozano is a player that many expected a lot more of, but you can't deny that he's a winner. He does his part. Whether the system of play was for him to be more defensive, whether it was for him to be a second forward, because that's what it was with Ancelotti or or Gattuso, and now uh, they're asking him to do something different in, in this system. It's always something. But Chucky Lozano, though he is a champion, and though that is impressive, didn't quite convince in the way you thought Chucky Lozano would convince with this Napoli squad when they signed him. Yeah. He started more than half the games. He got 20 starts, 12 substitute appearances in those 32. That said, to your point, it's definitely not the role I think he would have wanted. Still, for me, this is important for Chucky because it changes the narrative a little bit about his move to Napoli. You mentioned that huge, huge transfer fee that he, that he commanded when he came in from the Dutch League. And his first season in Napoli was pretty productive. Yeah. This was by far his least productive in terms of goals uh, season in Serie A. And I think for a long time, there's been kind of an anti-Chuki undercurrent there at Napoli, probably in large part tied to that transfer price. He never really lived up to it. But now if we look back over his time, you see an Italian Cup title, 
an Italian league title and some productivity over those four years and still a significant role in this Napoli team. It's not an insignificant role. Right. I think we can look at his tenure at Napoli, I'm not going to say as a huge success, but as less of a bust had there not been this title there, Herb. Yeah, you're right about that. The title is uh, very tied into him being a bust or not. And look, Chucky Lozano, nobody can take away what he's done. You can see the CV. He's a winner. But he's only topped by Victor Osimhen and highest transfer fee ever by Napoli. And you see what a high transfer fee is supposed to look like. Uh, it, it puts things into perspective. Um, but look, Chucky Lozano's a winner. Nobody's going to ever take that away from him. Yeah. And he... And He's a historic winner now, too, having won in Serie yeah. A, one of the top leagues in the world, never been done by a Mexican. That's never a bad thing for the Mexican national team. This, however, Herc, could potentially be a bad thing for the Mexican national team because Chucky and Napoli, they clinched on Thursday. On Sunday, they were playing Fiorentina. They end up winning the game 1-0. Chucky started but had to be subbed off on 45 with an injury. His foot got kind of caught up in the turf. It looked like maybe a knee there. Um, so not what we want to see towards the end of the season and ahead of a big summer for Chucky Lozano and El Tri. How big of a worry is this for Mexico with Chucky going down here, Her? It's a massive worry. I know that Chucky Lozano hasn't been quite productive with the Mexican national team, but a player of his caliber, a player of that experience, if you can wake him up, you can get him going. He's got the ability to be one of the best players in CONCACAF when he's healthy, when he's fit, and when he's in his moment. But this is Chucky Lozano, his style. He's a very physical player. He's physical in how vertical he is, his speed. He's also physical in the amount of altercations he gets into mm. on the field. You remember before the Gold Cup, it was with Nigeria in the Coliseum here in Los Angeles. He had that shoulder injury. Um, this is Chucky Lozano... Another summer, putting himself in doubt with the Mexican national team, and you saw how that snowballed into something very worrisome for the Mexican national team last summer. They could be in big problems. Uh, listen, like for like, it's very difficult to find a player like Chucky Lozano, like for like. Right now, the only comparison is Uriel Antuna, and Uriel Antuna can be a very good player for you, but as the level goes up of competition, yeah. it's going to be very difficult for him to duplicate what a Chucky Lozano can give you. Yeah, man, there's a big drop-off. You know, we, we can talk about Chucky's productivity and lack of productivity with the national team, but when you think about a starting front three, and really, Herc, what the opposition has to worry about, yeah. has to plan for, when you take Chucky Lozano out of that, you're taking a big piece out. I've said he's not the guy anymore for Mexico, but I think he could be a real nice complimentary piece to somebody like Santiago Jimenez. So I wonder who that next person would be for Mexico if it's not Chucky. I also wonder, Herc, if this injury might affect a potential transfer, because they're now starting to talk a lot about Chucky potentially making a move, leaving Napoli with his contract out. And this injury is probably not going to help his stock. No, we also, I mean, we don't know what the extent of the injury is. There have been some reports that are a little worrisome. We know, he, we know he's injury prone, though, Herc. And yes. I can see a lot of clubs looking at his history and saying, hmm, I don't know. Especially for the price tag. He's not going to come easy. It's not going to come cheap. He's a player that's commanded a, a high transfer value, a high salary. He's a player that's proven his worth uh, when it comes to getting those big moves. So it, it's going to be something very tricky. But it's about him staying healthy, like you said. But we don't know the extent of the injury. What worries me is they need to do more testing to figure if they needs surgery or not. And that's concerning because now we're going from missing some time to missing extensive time. And that's very concerning for any player. All right, so there we have it. Uh, Chucky Lozano with an injury towards the end of the season here for Napoli, uh, hoping for good news for the Mexican international. Speaking of, Espanol, home to Cesar Montes, taking on FC Barcelona, home to Julian Araujo. Not on the first team, but eventually soon enough. They play Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and of course ESPN+. Plus. Barcelona may have clinched La Liga title by then, but they can do it for sure, for sure, against Espanol Sunday afternoon. Don't miss it. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera 
o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Let's run it back. Herc, Americans abroad. Ricardo Pepe, your boy, his 12th league goal of the season for FC Groningen, who drew 1-1 on Sunday. Unfortunately, that result leaves Groningen officially relegated with three games left. Groningen's only scored, like, 29 goals in the Eredivisie. Pepe's got 63% of the goal involvements for this team. That's insane to me. It doesn't really help them out much, but that's still crazy. Sounds like the relationship with Augsburg is improving. Their sporting director was saying there's more communication now between the two camps, so he will eventually have to find a new home. How about this comparison? Pepe and, yes, you guessed it, Luis Suarez, who was at Groningen in 2006-2007. Suarez next week clubs after Groningen, by the way, just Ajax, Liverpool, and Barcelona. So, Ricardo Pepe got, got a lot of catching up to do. Mark McKenzie got a lot of scoring to do, Herc. A goal in his third straight game. This time, Gank lost 2-1 against Royal Antwerp. This man is in the form of his life. What's going? What, what is he? What did he wake up and eat like the last month? Because I guarantee you, he's doing the exact same thing every game day, every week, and it's paying dividends. Third straight goal for the center back. He woke up and saw you didn't want to start him in the Concacaf Nations League semifinal against Mexico, Belgium, to Denmark. Emmanuel Sabi with his. Fifth goal of the season for Odense. All right, are we going to ignore the center back on the ground getting hit in the face like five times? <laughs> What's going on here? It's like an SNL skit right there. What is going on here? Like, that's, we're going to talk about Sabi, Emmanuel Sabi. That's really what you guys want to talk about. This guy got hit in the face three times before the ball went to him. This is insane. Odense beating Silkeborg 1-0. That was a game winner for Sabi. Uh, shout out to Cameron Carter-Vickers, by the way, too, because Celtic won the Scottish League. In the championship, we got Americans ready to duke it out for promotion. So Burnley, Sheffield, they're automatically promoted. Three through six in table, going to fight it out for the last place in the Premier League next season. That includes Zach Steffen with Middlesbrough. They finished fourth. It includes Lyndon Gooch and Sunderland. They snuck in at six, thanks to goal difference. And Ethan Horbath and Lutontown, who were third. Here's a look at your promotion playoff matchups. Of course, all this available on ESPN+. Plus. Lutontown and Sunderland, first leg Saturday, second leg Tuesday. Then Middlesbrough, Coventry, they play Sunday, Wednesday. All on ESPN+. Plus. Speaking of promotion relegation, did you see the comments from Don Garber, MLS commissioner, about the U.S. Open Cup? These were from over the weekend, actually from the open session of U.S. Soccer's Board of Directors meeting. Don Garber was there, as he does have a seat on the Board of Directors. Quote, they are not the games we would want our product to be shown to a large audience. So frankly, I'm not all that disappointed that the audience is small. Don Garber on the Open Cup. Herc, are we telling the commission to get lost or what? Oh, it's definitely one of those get lost like moments, right? It sounds like you should tell them to get lost. And I know this is going to rile you up. I know you're very passionate about the Open Cup, as am mm -hmm. I. Um, is he wrong? Would you want to showcase these games? I mean, U.S. soccer has a responsibility to grow the game. Mm-hmm. U.S. soccer should have set up a pyramid where the money trickles down from the top to the bottom, right? They don't have that. So these teams, these lower division clubs struggle. Some dissolve. Some are around for a little, and then they're gone, never to be seen or heard from again. It's not MLS's responsibility. And Don Garber, his job is to be a shield for the owners. He's the Roger Goodell of Major League Soccer. He doesn't care about growing the game. He cares about... Major League Soccer, he cares mm -hmm. about keeping the MLS owners happy. And, of course, when you're showing a product 
that sometimes looks subpar on TV because of the fields or the camera angles or how you showcase it mm -hmm. or the empty stadiums or whatever the case may be because you don't promote it well enough. Yeah, why would you want to associate yourself with a product like that? <clears throat> but it's a bad look. That's the thing here. You can contextualize any way you want. I know there was more to it, uh, but it looks bad. It looks like big dog eats small dog, eats a little dog. Big bank takes a little bank. It, it looks very much like they are only looking out for themselves. And maybe you could say that's his job is to look out for the benefit of Major League Soccer and only, benefit, and only the benefit of Major League Soccer. But he's not exactly wrong on this. Yeah. Look, you know me, Herc. And you know there are a few things in this world I love more than the U.S. Open Cup. So you saw in the group text that this very much got under my skin. I think the reason it got under my skin was hypocrisy, right? And very specifically when it comes to, well, if we're going to complain about the U.S. Open Cup, who are we going to blame for the state that the U.S. Open Cup is in? Now, if we really think about this, Herc, for the better part of the last two decades, the folks responsible for marketing the Open Cup have been... The exclusive Some. marketing arm of U.S. Soccer, Soccer United Marketing, who is owned by MLS. So if we're yes. going to complain about the marketing of the Open Cup, the they state just ended of the, the relationship with them. Yes, we can blame Major League Soccer for most of the last two decades. You're right; the relationship uh, just recently years. ended. Yeah, but historically, it's been MLS and Soccer United Marketing in charge of the Open Cup. That's the reality. Hurt beyond that, and I know you talk about Don Garber only having to worry about MLS. But at this meeting, he's not there just as MLS commissioner. He is a member of the board of directors of U.S. soccer. And this is the problem for me. Because you know who the most powerful group inside the Federation is? It's the board of directors. And he's one of the most powerful people on the board of directors. And I believe the longest serving member of the board of directors. So you add all that up. Tell me, should the board of directors be on the hook for the Open Cup? Yes, they're to blame. Yeah, so very specifically, we can look at Don blame. Garber and his responsibility, and we can look at Soccer United Marketing, a.k.a. MLS, and their responsibility. So how can Don Garber sit there and complain when he's the guy that's responsible well, for the State of the Open Cup? He's not responsible for State of the Open <laughs> Cup. He's not the owner of... Some. He's on the board of directors. Yeah, I don't know he, if you he know wanted how to make the Open Cup works. great over the last 5, Seb, 10, 15 years. Seb, he could have stepped up you, at any time. I don't know if you know how a board of directors works. You don't have individual, like he doesn't say, hey, this is the way it's going to be, and that's the way it if should be. If you're telling me that Don Garber does vote. not have influence the board of directors of U.S. Well, obviously, soccer, you're obviously living not in another reality. Obviously not enough, because if he really wanted to promote no, this No, I don't product, take him at his word. I don't think he really wants the Open Cup. If he did, he would have done something to help the Open Cup for the last 20 years yeah, when he had yeah, the chance. Except, to do it. Except, but sitting here and pacing or putting the blame on only Don Garber, he's a part of the board of directors. He's not the actual guy pulling the trigger, pressing the button. Like, that's not how a board of directors works. I understand your frustrations. And listen, that's why I said you're right. Like, some 17-year mm -hmm. relationship, they should have marketed the Open Cup better. It is a tournament rich in tradition, rich in history. There are better ways to go about it. You can give the lower-seeded team uh, priority to wanting to host a game, to have your venue be the primary venue when you play a Major League Soccer team. So it looks packed. So they can get people sure. there. So they can grow the game. They don't do these type of things. It seems like a nuance. Excuse me. It seems like a nuance. Uh, nuisance. Excuse me. It seems like a nuisance for Major League Soccer clubs to even want to be participating in this tournament. That's what it's come down to, and that's why these Major League Soccer clubs, their owners, they don't want to be associated with it. Now, Don Garber, he needs to protect Major League Soccer, and that's what he's trying to do. I agree, the there is here. some blame, but I don't see how you can just blame Don Garber. Trust me, I would love to, right? Mm -hmm. Big bad Major League Soccer. They poach everything in USL. Once it works, they bring it up to Major League Soccer. This is ours now. They don't promote the game. But when it comes to the Open Cup, there's a lot more to blame than, than Don Garber. Okay. The quote here, I'm not all that disappointed that the audience is small. I'll leave it at this, Herc. If there was ever a sports executive who wouldn't be disappointed by a small audience, it would be the commissioner of Major League Soccer, oh. Don Garber. So this makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Ouch. Low blow. Take a shot at the Open Cup. Bows will fly. Let's check in on the Bundesliga available for you here on ESPN+. This is a CONCACAF-esque glance at the plate in the German top flight. We got that Kevin Paredes and Wolfsburg against our good friend Pellegrino Matarazzo, John Brooks, 
against Hoffenheim. And then how about that? Joe Scally against Gio Reyna. Dortmund versus Gladbach Saturday, uh, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Do not miss it on ESPN+. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Let's get back to Major League Soccer. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll start with the good, Herc. Y la ley del ex, which was actually everywhere in MLS this weekend. Joseph Martinez scoring twice for Inter-Miami against Atlanta United. And Herky celebrated his goals as if it wasn't enough. <laughs> I celebrated with, with his fans. Uh, listen, the crazy part is his first goals with Inter are at the hands of Atlanta United. It, it got him going. It got him motivated. Hopefully it's... More of the good Joseph to come because, man, he was something special. Miami win 2-1, their second straight victory after losing six straight in league play. Those were goals 99 and 100. He's the fastest to reach the 100-goal plateau in MLS history. He said he was nervous, and Herky compared it to the day his kid was born. Wow, so uh, emotional times there for Joseph Martinez. His Inter-Miami beat his ex-Atlanta United to the bad. Not one firing Herc, but two. New York Red Bulls mutually parting ways with manager Gerhard Struber after New York lost 1-0 to Philly over the weekend. Red Bulls have scored the second fewest goals in the league, their last place in the Eastern Conference, and they've won just one of their first 11 MLS games. Red Bull management saying Struber's handling of Dante Van Zier's racism incident, not a factor in the decision. Wow. Struber out in New York, Ezra Hendrickson out in Chicago. The fire parting ways with their head coach just three months into the season. The fire have only won two of their 10 MLS games so far this season. They're next to last in the East. Frank Klopas set to take over uh, Chicago on an interim basis. Her Chicago Fire, New York Red Bulls. Two jobs that are available. Which one is more attractive? Which one is more attractive? Can I just start off by saying I feel bad for Ezra Hendrickson having to share, like, this moment with, with Struber. Like, Struber mutually – Struber and Red Bull mutually parted ways while Endrick, Ezra Hendrickson gets fired. Like, there's just something so insulting and unfair about that for, for Ezra. Um, more attractive job? Without a doubt, it's the New Jersey, New York Red Bulls job. Easily, hands down. Because if I'm going there – I'm not going there because of the rich history that the Red Bulls have in Major League Soccer. I'm not going there because of the unbelievable fan base and atmosphere at the games. I'm not going there because of the academy program and how well they develop players. I'm going there because I see an opportunity to move up the ladder in Red Bull. That's it. Red Bull Salzburg, Red Bull Leipzig, Red Bull in Brazil. I see an opportunity. I see a pathway for me going to Europe. That's why it's attractive. And nothing else. That's mm. why I would want to go to Red Bull. Red Bull is not a destination. It's a launching pad. A launching pad into the Red Bull way. A launching pad into that universe and potentially a better coaching job. So that and only that is why it is attractive. Not. Well, I want to make one thing very clear. I don't think either of these jobs is attractive, Herc. If no, someone no, was Red asking me... If, really? Yeah. You think the New York Red Bulls is an attractive job? My yeah. gosh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you see. I just I told do you think, why. I do think Chicago is slightly more attractive Oof. than the New York Red Bulls, and that for me is just down to ambition, man. It's just down to ambition. Dante Van Zier was the big <sighs> signing for the New York Red Bulls. Unless you really were following European soccer, you didn't know who Dante Van Zier was. Chicago at least has made a splash and has shown in the past they're willing to make a 
big splash. Erdan Shakiri did not come over here cheap, and he came over here with a big resume. Herc. If I'm looking at a, at a job and saying, where can I realistically be ambitious and try to achieve something? It's way more likely to be Chicago than the New York Red Bulls. The New York Red Bulls, it's a, it's a marketing write-off for Red Bull. They don't care what happens to the New York Red Bulls. And honestly, the fans hardly care about the New York Red Bulls at this point, unless they're walking out in protest. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near the New York Red Bull job. Anywhere, Herc. Chicago's yeah. not attractive, but it's slightly more attractive than New I York. I wouldn't want to go right, anywhere New near Jersey. George Heights. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know how you could want to play or work for a person like a sporting director like that who's absolutely missed on everything he's done in Chicago since 2019. They've got no playoff appearances to to boast about. You can look mm -hmm. at the signings. I mean, their DPs are Jairo Torres, who came from um, from uh, Atlas in Liga MX. Who did you remember him as a player? Did you think he had a promising career? Did you think he did anything of note in Liga MX? They gave him a DP contract. And then you have... Shakiri and Shakiri's got zero goals, zero assists this year. And any potential product you do have, mm. a Gaga Salonina, you sell. And then you have players like Brian Gutierrez, who potentially could be good players, and they have a potential U20 World Cup coming up. And you say, hey, guess what? You can't go. You can't showcase yourself because what we have going on here is far more important, even though we're not going to get relegated for how bad we are. I don't see how you could say that's attractive. Chicago's not been relevant since 2007, and those years. With, and with the Parker New York Blanco. Red Bulls are relevant? The only reason the Red Bulls are relevant is for all the wrong reasons. Well, hold on. I told you why they're attractive, why it's an attractive job. <laughs> yeah, because it might get relevant. you a job somewhere else because people think Red Bull is cool. What's going right? to come up? What's going to come up? Playing in Chicago or coaching in Chicago. I don't know. Belko Panovic is now in charge of Chivas. That worked out okay Not for him, didn't it? Not because of Chicago, buddy. He went to wow. Reading and then after that. Well, what happened to Rafael Vicky? Do you remember him? Do you remember why he left? Do you remember that? They were looking out for him because of his dad. I mean, just pulled out the rug underneath from him. It's a dumpster fire in Chicago. It's not a relevant market anymore for Major League Soccer. It may be a relevant market in theory, but it's not. The best days are way behind him. You got to go back to Cuauhtémoc Blanco to find those days. If you're a coach trying to climb the ladder, if you're, if you're realistically trying to make something out of your career, Chicago's not the route. Okay, so Chicago and New York are two bad teams. But there's one team that's even worse than bad. They're just ugly. The Los Angeles Galaxy. We're involved in a game between actually two teams that are kind of known for their absentee owners. The Colorado Rapids forever, the Galaxy of late. They uh, squared off and Colorado won 3-1. Speaking of X's, Kevin Cabral on the score sheet for Colorado. That adds insult to injury. LA 13th out of 14 in the Western Conference. One win in 10 MLS games. Here's a frustrated Chicharito afterwards. Greg was talking a little bit about maybe you guys trying to be too perfect and, and wasn't questioning the effort. Do you think the effort's there? And, and do you think maybe you guys are trying to be too perfect? Yeah, the effort is there, but the effort is not enough either. Yeah, we need so many things to change. Starting from, like, I believe that more people need to come here and face the things where the same people speaking always. That's a thing that he needs to change too, you know? We're always speaking here, the same guys. So I think that that should change in the beginning and then in the training ground, another stuff needs to change. Something needs to change, man. We're, we need to be accountable. We need to see that the reality is not in the way that we are doing. We cannot say that things we're going to turn around doing the same things. All right, Herc. Shots fired there from Chicharito. But at who? And are they warranted? They're warranted. And I applaud Javier Hernandez. I'm nobody to defend Javier Hernandez. Trust me. Uh, he's a big boy. He can defend himself. Um, but he's right. It's the same people showing face for the LA Galaxy. It's Javier Hernandez, and he's the DP of the team, one of the DPs. He should show face. Makes a lot of money. He's got the prestige. He's got the thick skin. He can handle it. He should show face. Greg Vanny. Uh, head coach for the LA Galaxy, who's shown face, and sometimes too much, sometimes lets it get under his skin, but he's showing face. I'll start with the players. What about the other two DPs? Where's Ricky Pooch? Where's, where's Douglas Costa? Douglas Costa has been a bust in Major League <laughs> Soccer for the LA Galaxy. Where is he? Why isn't he showing face? Now, I can get into Chris Klein, because that's who everybody wants to get into, is Chris Klein. And yes, Chris Klein should show face. I don't know if he can show face on a podium after a game with the suspension or whatnot, but there are certainly other ways of showing face. You could 
break out a presser, an email, whatever the case may be, there no, are ways of showing face. An email's not enough. Come on. Hold on. Hold on. I don't know if he can even show face in a presser is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay? What about Jovan Karofsky? What about Jovan? Jovan's also responsible for the construction of this team, the sporting director. What about Dan Beckerman, AEG? What about Uncle Phil? Why is it the same people are showing face? Why is it this divide and conquer with the fan base, the strategy they got going on, they'll leave it at that. Hey, don't worry about the worst moment in their sporting history. That's where they are right now, rock bottom. Because why LAFC is looking forward to hosting the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League in a game where they, in my opinion, are heavily favored, guess what the Galaxy are doing? They're experiencing the worst moment in their history. They're at rock bottom right now. So Javier Hernandez is right. He's one of the few showing face. And it's about time others came and show face too. Is there, is there anything to be rescued from this season, Herc? I feel like we're burying the Galaxy. It's the beginning of May, but you see this team and you, it's not just the results. Um, it's the way in which they're playing and it's all the turmoil around the team when you have a star like Chicharito coming out after the game and basically being like, hey, talk to my bosses, man. I, I don't know what to say. It doesn't seem like even in MLS where you can turn things around, you know, at the drop of a dime, like there's any way back for this Galaxy team here in 2023. Well, no summer. I mean, they can't make any summer transfers. It's, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, the LA Galaxy used to try to get themselves out of problems by spending, uh, bringing yeah. in players. They can't even do that right now. They, they can't even bring in big – I mean, they're, they're handcuffed. They're handcuffed to their moves. Uh, Ricky Pooch and Douglas Costa, they gave Efrain, you know, Alvarez a, a TAM contract. There are certain things they can't do. Jonathan Bond's injured. Uh, Mavinga was injured as well. The players they brought in haven't necessarily – filled out the roster in the way they'd hoped. They're trying to do interleague transfers or movements for wingers. And you can go out there and say, all right, who potentially? Is it a Paul Riola? Is it a, is it a Jonathan Lewis who actually scored a goal against him? You had a player who was vertical and you didn't wait on, which is Kevin Cabral, who in my mind, and I've said it many times, reminds me of Vinicius' bad three years at Real Madrid where he just couldn't put the final third together. He couldn't put the, miss the final piece together. But look at what he's converted, and I'm not comparing him. I'm just saying there are some projects that take longer than others. They don't have that luxury. This is a dumpster fire. This is one of the worst moments that I can remember in LA Galaxy history. I don't know if it's salvageable this season. And going back to Javier Hernandez, I mean, Javier Hernandez gets paid well enough to sit here and face the music and face those questions, but... Where are the rest? Where are the rest of them? You know what they're saying in Carson? Thank goodness for sporting Kansas City. That's right, because that's no the uh, only team. No sub. This this season. Keeping. But it's rock bottom in their history. Yes. No, I know. But uh, for this season, at least, sporting Kansas City, who beat your Seattle Sounders for their first win, uh, the only team keeping the LA Galaxy off the floor of the Western Conference. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. next year on Football Americas, none other than Kristen Press of Angel City FC and, of course, a longtime veteran of the U.S. women's national team. Kristen, great to have you here on the show. We've been waiting a long time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so partially you're on to talk about this new HBO docuseries that Angel City is involved in. I want to get to that, uh, but I got to wait because right now, if I don't start with an update on your health, I feel like not just Angel City fans, but like U.S. women's national team fans will be screaming at the television. So, Give us an update. How you feeling? Obviously, a long layoff since the knee injury uh, last summer. 
Yeah, it has been a unique recovery journey. Um, I've had some setbacks um, and I've had some ups and downs. I think that's, that's normal. I think this took a, a bit longer than I had hoped up till now. Um, but I'm in the final stretch of my recovery. I'm starting to feel like myself again. I'm getting my body back um, and hopefully I'll be joining the team soon. Okay. It doesn't sound like you have a, a specific timeline there yet, but we've had her from Vlatko Andonovsky, the national team manager, kind of talk about you as, as maybe having hope for the World Cup. It's a little bit later this year than, for instance, in 2019. There's an extra six weeks there. Do you still have hopes for, for maybe making a run at a World Cup spot? There has never been a moment where I lost hope um, and that I took my focus off of that World Cup from the moment that I got injured until now. Um, it's, it's the North Star for all of us uh, professional players and um, it, it's, it's a motivation and obviously the timing's really tough, um, but I'm doing everything I can to get back as quickly as possible because it would be a dream come true to represent my country again at, the, at that level. You're not the only you know, superstar player that's had the ACL injuries recently. We've heard from players like Janine Becky, I think uh, Alexia Putelas as well in Spain, talking about how it's so prevalent in the women's game, and yet there's not really the seemingly the research that you would think behind it. Um, I wonder what you make of the rash of injuries and, and kind of the issue of, well, uh, of women maybe not getting the support that you might see if this were happening in the men's game. I think the amount of ACL injuries in professional women's soccer in the last two years has just been shocking um, and I think if the caliber of players um, from Beth Mead to Miedema to uh, Alexia um, in every league um, international players doing double duty stars um, if this happened on the men's side we would have immediately seen a reaction of how are we going to solve this and figure this out and make sure that these players are going to be available at the biggest moments of their career. So obviously a, a, a kind of factor, side, side part of this injury, which is not a good thing, is that you do have a lot of off time. So I wonder, you, you can't rehab 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So what do you do to fill that time maybe off the field and looking at some other endeavors? Well, I am a co-founder and a co-CEO of my business, Free Inc. Um, that was started long before my ACL and will be long after uh, my recovery and career. Um, so we are a business that has commerce, community, and content, um, and we really do serve our women's soccer fan, um, and we really are trying to build a business that um, has value and it has equity at its core um, because of all of the history that we have um, as professional players, myself and my co-founders, we really learned um, to bet on ourselves and to bet on our value. And we, we really started to understand what um, our community and our audience wants from us. And, and they want to create a, a better world. Um, and so at Reink, you can find content, thought leadership, um, close a community to help you make the impact that you want to make in the world. All right, Kristen, let's dive in on this docu-series. What's, what's that experience like on the inside of the fishbowl? Because we're going to all see the final product, but what was it like going through it? It can be a little awkward at times. Um, <laughs> I think that I believe that there's sacred space in sport, um, and I believe that... You know, in the locker room, there's quiet moments um, and there's things that you always have to protect. And in order to do a project like this, you have to begin to trust the team that's building it. And I think because um, Natalie Portman was at the head of all of it and she is the creator of our club, there was a little bit more trust um, than, than otherwise we would have had. Um, but it ended up being really fun. I think the, the documentary is quite honest, um, refreshingly honest, I'd say, um, which I didn't expect. Um, but I think it's going to give a really interesting and unique inside look at what it was like to play on an expansion team that was built um, as a startup uh, with really big business goals and with really high stakes. Nice. I can't wait to watch. All right. You sold me. Well done. That's, that's what I'm talking about. All right. Before the interview started, I asked you to tap into your memory banks. Uh, I wanted to get your favorite Kristen Press goal with the women's national team. Because anybody who's ever watched the U.S. women's national team on ESPN knows what my favorite Kristen Press goal <laughs> is. But I want to hear from you. What's your favorite? 
Well, my favorite goal is the most important goal I ever scored. Um, so 2019 World Cup semifinal mm. with my head, untraditional, don't score a lot with my head against England. Um, it was the most important goal hands down in my career. So it is the one I'm the fondest of. Okay. That was the most important in your career. The most important that <laughs> goal that you scored in my career uh, probably came in March of 2020. Just before the pandemic shut everything down, it was the She Believes Cup. It was also, Kristen, against England. What it do you was. remember about that goal? Press, press, golazo! Kristen Press, what have you done? I love that goal. Actually, it was um, I remember everything. I remember the play. Carly Lloyd turned. Mm -hmm. I turned in the pocket and it was far out, really, really bent. And I remember that someone from <laughs> behind the television said, Kristen Press, what have you done? Kristen Press, what have you done? And I have yeah. seen that and heard that many times in my life. So have I, so have I. I don't think I'll ever live it down. You know, the best part of it for me was there was a, a perfect, and this is why TV is such a, a team sport, there was a perfect camera angle from behind you, and you can catch the bend of the ball, Kristen, as it kind of, and you see it leave the, leave the space of the goal and then come back. And my only reaction live is, is like when you take a bite out of like a, like, you know, something you really like, you're like, oof. I was like, oof. You know, that, that, was, that was my great narration there in the, uh, in the moment on oh the Kristen Press gosh. goal. Well, um, hopefully I I'll be back soon doing more goals like that. I don't doubt it. I remember Kristen at that time thinking, boy, if she isn't the best player in the world, she's darn close to it. Did you feel like that, you know, around that time, right before the pandemic? Never. I've never felt like that. I've always felt like greatness is aloof and mm. ahead of me. Um, and I hope that... You know, when I when I do come back, that I'll I'll be not just back at that level, but beyond it, and continuing to strive for a level that is again just out of reach. Love the perspective. Greatness still ahead of us. Uh, I love to hear it. All right, Kristen Press, great to have you here on Football Americas. Get back on the field quick, and good luck with Angel City FC, and hopefully with the U.S. Women's National Team. Thank you so much. All right, Herc, what about Kristen Press's Angel City? They were in action over the weekend, taking on Kansas City Current on Sunday. Alyssa Thompson, Claire Emsley, and June Endo, the goal scorers for Angel City in a 3-2 win. Herc, did you get tickets to this one? No, no, no. I, I wanted to go, but uh, family's up. Uh, this is a ridiculous goal, by the way. Like, you can't just finish that way if you're Alyssa Thompson. Uh, this is an outstanding goal. And then the second one right here, far post. I mean, you're not going to get that. It was a good win. Yeah, crazy game actually, right? Because uh, Angel City went up 3-0. Casey Current fought back. Uh, but in the end, Angel City ends up winning the game by a final score of 3-2. One of quite a few wild games across the National Women's Soccer League over the weekend. That was one on the West Coast. What about uh, on the East Coast, Herc? We had the Washington Spirit and San Diego Wave. My Washington Spirit, you'll know. And my Washington spirit at Audi Field got the job done. 3-1 winners over San Diego. Trinity Rodman, Ashley Sanchez, both on the score sheet. Yeah, it's a nice little goal from Trinity Rodman. Mid-defender right there. Last-ditch effort doesn't do well enough to play back to the goalkeeper. Trinity Rodman, thank you all. Have that. Yeah, spirit rolling in the district. Here's another one. And uh, took a 2-0 lead there. They end up winning 3-1. El gol del honor in this one for San Diego, courtesy of Alex Morgan. But the San Diego Wave do fall on their cross-country trip against the Washington Spear. What about the rest of the action from the weekend in the NWSL? A couple of national teamers getting on the score sheet. Lynn Williams uh, gets a goal for Gotham in their 2-1 victory over Chicago. Crystal Dunn with a brace in another just crazy game. 3-3 draw between Portland Thorns and the North Carolina Courage. All right, NWSL and Liga MX. We got the repechaje this past weekend, or the play-in. Start with the Atlas Cruz Azul. And the Atlas pulling the upset here, Herc. one nothing on a Brian Lozano goal in just the second minute. The upset, come on. If you guys remember from the book it, this is the one that I picked at plus like 280. Brian Lozano beaten right there. Corona, it was an easy one. Later on Saturday night, Santos and Pachuca. It was 4-3 Pachuca late when Mateos Doria scores a goal in extra time to make it 4-4. Then we go to penalties and Pachuca just basically chokes. So Santos, who remember, were 13th in the table. They end up winning in the penalty shootout 
after a 4-4 draw and advancing, that's right, Herc's beloved Santos through to the quarterfinals. On Sunday, uh -oh. Leon uh -oh. and San Luis. Now, Leon actually scored first in this game, but you would not know it looking at the final score. Just a tragedy there for the equalizer and San Luis scoring three unanswered goals in the first half as they roll the CONCACAF Champions League finalists out of Liga Amequis by a final score of three to one. The fighting Mauricio Pedrosas through to the quarters. And then later on Sunday, Tigres and Puebla, Diego Lainez, Sebastián Córdoba, the hookup there, the only goal of the game uh, as Tigres get the victory by the narrowest. Diego Lainez assist? Part. That's right, let's go. <laughs> Some of the, uh, run it back for us. All right, so three of the four higher-seeded teams lost this weekend. Herc, who was the biggest disappointment? Oh, with, without a doubt, Pachuca. Uh, Pachuca are the defending champions. Um, coming into this game, they're still defending champions of Liga Mekis. They come in as the fifth seed, playing the 13th seed. Mm -hmm. uh, there are only 12 teams that make it to this play-in round because Querétaro was the 12th team, or one of the 12 teams, I should say, and on paper, they got relegated, which means they have to pay a fine because Pro Rel is in pause right now. They weren't eligible to compete. So in comes in the 13th place team, who, by the way, just fired their coach last week. And this 13th place team, one of their star players, their star goalkeeper, he's not fit enough to play. In comes in the backup goalkeeper. So you have to go play against the defending champs away from home in Pachuca. And you dropped four goals on them. Mm. And not only did you drop four goals on Pachuca, but Pachuca was actually up four to three in the 92nd minute. With that advantage, they couldn't hold on for two more minutes and coughed up a 4-4 only to lose in penalty kicks to a team like Santos Laguna who had no business being in this competition. And I know people are going to say, well, you know, Nico Ibanez uh, was their leading goal scorer last season. They just sold him to Tigres this season. Chicho Arango, by the way, who they brought in, is on a goal-scoring tear. Five for five in the last five games. And they come in here against a team that just three weeks ago, they beat 4-1 in Torreon. Mm. There was no reason for this to happen, and yet it did. It's one of the biggest choke jobs that I can recall in recent memory. Say the truth about why you're disappointed, because this was, this was your parlay. This is exactly what you picked. You did the hard part. You picked <laughs> Atlas, who was... Who was yeah, this was it, right? You needed you needed Pachuca to win money line, and you would have covered. Oh uh, no, no, that's not what I'm. That's not why it's no. It's bad because it's bad. I mean, you on paper you lose to a team like Santos, who's 13th place. I mean, it's just you it's were a minutes bad one. away from the cover. You were minutes away yeah. from the cover. I bring that up because that's what factors into my disappointment. Uh, mm. Those who watched the show last week will know that I was heavily emotionally invested in Leon. I was also personally very. Financially invested in Leon this past weekend, and they scored first, Herc, in their game. And I think almost, I know you've heard the expression, like, the goal came too soon. That's kind of what it felt like when Davila scores. You're like, oh, Leon's rolling off the CONCACAF Champions League midweek. They got the momentum. San Luis is not that good. You score two minutes into the game, and I really, truly felt like Leon just shut it down. They just thought it was game over. And the mistake at the back, I know we showed it in the highlights, but... If you're going to give away a, a game in that manner, it doesn't matter if, if the Liga Mekis regular season is forgiving and we reward mediocrity. Any professional team is going to take advantage of that. So you give away your lead, then two goals, bang, bang. The third goal is also sloppy defense there from Leon. For me, Leon being up one nothing, coming off the CONCACAF Champions League, what a massive, massive disappointment, Herc, to go out uh, here against San Luis. The one team we didn't mention, Cruz Azul, you saw it coming. Yeah, I saw Cruzul coming. I'll just comment really quickly on Leon. Leon's, I mean, if you count from April 1st, the game that they had, um, that was against Cruzul. No, America. A game, a very good game against America. Game of the season candidate. Since that game, April 1st, they played, ten, this would be their 10th game. I mean, it's a congested schedule. They just ran out of gas. They had a great game against Tigres. Wasn't meant to be. That wasn't very surprising for me. Uh, 
As was not surprising, Cruz Azul in that downfall. Mm -hmm. I, I already told you coming into this, Cruz Azul's a team that was not doing so well. One win in the last four games heading into this game. Uh, they'd already lost to Chivas and Club America. Leon draw. Uh, this was a game that I thought was right for the picking for Atlas. And Atlas is one of the hottest teams in Liga Mekis right now. They mm -hmm. really are one of the best teams in great form coming into this uh, next quarterfinal moment. So this yep. was not surprising at all for me. Herc, before we move on to the quarterfinals, I want to pick your brain on one more thing that kind of jumped off the screen from that Puebla-Tigres match. Now, Puebla had their chances to equalize, none better than a missed penalty. But it's not really the missed penalty I want to focus on. It's more so the moments before the missed penalty, because there was obviously a long delay. That delay included substitutions for both teams. It felt like everybody was, was kind of freezing the kicker here. This is so ridiculous for me. So I could understand Tigres wanting to freeze the penalty kick taker. What I don't understand is why the head coach of Puebla, Eduardo Arce, is also partaking in the substitutions. 69 was when it was awarded the penalty kick. Four minutes later, Diego de Vien finally takes the chance, finally takes the penalty kick, and pushes it wide. Like, what did you think was going to happen? He iced his own kicker. It's ridiculous to me. Now, Tigres dominated this game mm -hmm. in saying that. Puebla was one penalty kick away from sending this into penalty kicks mm -hmm. and advancing like they've done the last past two years against Chivas. They had it, and they shot themselves in the foot. Eduardo mm -hmm. Arce with a rookie mistake. 34-year-old, young, very young coach, Eduardo Arce, literally iced his own kicker. Yeah. I mean, the timing of it is weird because it's before the penalty. It's also because you don't know what's going to happen on the penalty, right? Like, if there's a goal, that might change what you're going to do for the last few minutes. If he misses, that might change what you're going to do for the last two minutes. So making the sub just didn't make sense there at all. Unfortunately for Puebla in the Hercules Gomez Bowl, uh, they end up on, on the short end of the <laughs> stick. Yeah, yes, certainly down in, uh, in Liga Mekis. All right, so let's take a look then at the quarterfinals because the, uh, the quarterfinal matchups are set. We got Rayados Santos, America against San Luis, Chivas Atlas, ooh, a Clásico Tapatio in there, and then Toluca against Tigres. All right, Herc, of the higher seeds here in the quarterfinals, who do you suppose is the most vulnerable, most likely to crash out? Oh, I'm going to go with Monterrey. Now, bear with me for a second. Monterrey, mm -hmm. first place, they won the regular season. But we're both under the agreement they didn't necessarily close out in the best fashion. Now, when it comes to Santos Laguna, a team very emotional, very uh, an emotional high, a big win against the defending champions, but they're still 13th in the regular season. Well, towards the end of the regular season, they went into Monterrey and they played against Monterrey Rayados. They beat them in Monterrey 2-1. Santos beat them 2-1 in Monterrey. In fact, they've won the last two regular season meetings between them and Monterrey. One in TSM, uh, Torreon, and one in Monterrey. Now, if you're just saying that's just regular season, if you want to go back to what is an actual playoff format, the last time they met in playoffs was 2021, and it was Santos eliminating them in the very same place, quarterfinals. Monterrey can say whatever they want, and they do when it comes to Santos. It's not a Clásico for us. Mm -hmm. It's not an important game, but the reality is... They've played some very big games, CONCACAF Champions League finals, league finals against each other very recently. And for Santos Laguna, for them, this is a rivalry game. I remember being at Santos Laguna and the talk. Anytime you would play Monterrey, you would mm. play Rayados, if you would go out, the fan base would remind you, hey, hey, este partido no se puede perder. You can't lose this game. <laughs> this is a game we don't lose. Hey, hey. Remember, we don't lose this game. It's a very important game for everybody in Santos, everybody at Santos Laguna, everybody in Torreon. And right now I see a team that's on an emotional high versus a team that knows they're supposed mm. to win. A team that's already experienced some losses, big losses to Santos Laguna as of late. Banking on, on the curse of a super leader. I like it, Herc. Shades of a New England revolution last year, right? A fading at the end of the regular season. Uh, and then it comes to hurt them in the playoffs. I'm going to go Chivas. I'm going to lean on derbies here. I think Chivas probably did not want to see Atlas, not just because it's a rivalry, but to your point, something you called out last week, 
Atlas is hot. They're getting hot at the right time, and that's very, very dangerous in the Liga Mekis playoffs. We saw what they did against Cruz Azul, and anytime you got the firepower up front that Atlas have, uh, it could be a problem. Generally, as I've said many times throughout this season, I've not been that convinced with Chivas. And this is where their season is going to be defined. As much of a success as the regular season was for Velko Paunovic, hurt. If Chivas go out in the quarterfinals as a higher seed against Atlas, you know this season is going to go in the books as a fracaso. Tell me I'm wrong. Ooh, uh, that's being harsh on Chivas. I'm not one of these guys that goes based off of history and be like, hey, Chivas is popular, they're historic, all these titles. I take them for what they're worth in the last decade, and I give Chivas a lot of credit here. And uh, honestly, versus they're Atlas... They're top four. They're top four. I thought we have been singing their praises honestly, all year. I had to hear how great Chivas were. Honestly, versus Atlas, this is a pick em for me. It's a rivalry game. Mm -hmm. I will say this. Now, in case you and I are both wrong, in case we're both wrong about our projections or about mm. who we think is the most vulnerable, in case it's not Monterrey and in case it's not Chivas, could you imagine a scenario where America beats San Luis, Chivas beats Atlas, Monterrey beats Santos, and Tigres beats Toluca, you're going to have a Clásico Regio semifinal and a Clásico Nacional semifinal. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. TV ratings will be off the charts, and whoever yeah. wins out of those two heading to the final, it could be the biggest rated game in Mexican yeah. football history. Like, it's going to be just madness if that happens. Yeah. Now, that noise you heard was Televisa executives tripping over themselves trying to make, make that final four uh, exactly what comes good down in Liga MX. It should be a very fun close to the season. All right, time for parting shot. We started the show acknowledging the men's player of the year in CONCACAF. What about on the women's side? That's right. From Jamaica and Manchester City, Khadija Shaw. You know her as Bunny Shaw. The CONCACAF Women's Player of the Year honoree. Congratulations, Herc. Go out to Khadija Shaw. Massive congratulations. Uh, first Caribbean nation to qualify for a World Cup. 15 goals this year uh, in league play, Champions League, all that good stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I was very surprised, though. I mean, very, very deserving. But Alex Morgan absolutely with a, with a ridiculous season. And they ended up winning the CONCACAF W. Yep. Yep, I think she gets uh, Shaw gets a lot of credit for Jamaica qualifying as well as the great work she had in Manchester yes. City. If you really start to talk about kind of the best forwards in the club game, Khadija Shaw is is, is in that conversation, certainly in, in the European theater. Wish we had her here in the National Women's Soccer League. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Thursday with a recap of the first leg of the Liga Amekis quarterfinals. We'll also be looking ahead to the weekend in Liga Amekis. MLS, NWSL, and much more. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sevi Salazar. Thanks for watching, and we will see you on Thursday night back here on ESPN+.